too good. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, please feel free uh, to take your seat and get nice and comfy. We're super excited uh, to have you here tonight. Whether it is your first, second, third, 100th time, uh, we really hope that tonight's the place where, where you feel like you can belong. And we're super excited to have you here as well because it is one of our awesome Hello Sunday nights. We're going to be kicking on in our food trucks by 7 p.m. We'll make sure you're out there if your bellies are rumbling at all. But my name's Riley. I'm just one of the fellas that rock up here uh, of a Sunday. Uh, but we are. We're really excited uh, to have you here. Just as the telly's coming out, I've got a little bit of a story for you because I remember, I remember when I was just a young wee lad uh, frolicking through my grandma's backyard uh, listening and playing the music to the sound of music for the 204th time. We're starting pretty deep tonight, just so you know, before we jump in. Because the sound of music was the only VCR at my grandma's and pop's house. So I wasn't indoctrinated by choice, uh, but being exposed to such a film at such a young age, I've always kind of wondered who would play me in a film about my life? Who would play me? What actor would play me in the life biographical film of my life. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question before, uh, of who would play you in a movie about you. I'm kind of sitting on the fence between Zac Efron, I just really enjoyed my high school musical days, or Jackie Chan. Um, I really loved Jackie Chan as a kid, and I just think Jackie Chan would be awesome. Like Julie Andrews in Sound of Music was amazing. I think she can do it all, but maybe not for this one. I think Jackie Chan was cool. He'd probably be my go-to. But if that's the type of movie, uh, or if that's the actor that we're looking for, we can answer that question. Maybe you can move on to the next step of what type of movie or story would you want it to be? How would the storyline play out? Do you want the hero's journey film about your life? A Lord of the Rings type tale with a big journey and adversities and setbacks, but a big finale at the end where the sacrifice was all worth it. You know, those underdog movies where the heroes and protagonists are kind of born from the ashes, like a, a $1 million baby, a Rocky Balboa, or Kung Fu Panda. Who doesn't love Kung Fu Panda? Or like a Cinderella story, or the proper superhero's journey. Because uh, like, whenever I come out of a Marvel film, I don't know if it's the same for you, you're coming out of a movie all about uh, superheroes fighting crime, all the rest. If you've ever come out of a Marvel film before, you almost naturally feel like you must have some type of superpower within you. I still remember the first time I saw Star Wars. Uh, the next day I went to Woolworths where the automatic doors was and just used the force to walk through it. It was just this magical moment when you watch a film and all of a sudden you feel like you're so involved in it, so a part of it. Maybe for you, you might want the hero's journey to be the movie of your life. Or maybe for you, maybe for you, you're a little bit of a romantic. Maybe you want the romance tale, the drama. When you come out of the cinema, certain that one day you can become a jazz pianist to impress people like Ryan Gosling in La La Land. Or maybe even with the spontaneous singing and dancing that we get out of musicals, like High School Musical, like Grease. Or are you looking for the romance tale where two worlds collide, like the tale with Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Titanic? But without the freezing water and without the iceberg and without Kate Winslet being Kate Winslet go and just letting Jack fall into the water, into the abyss, even though she was sitting on a 10 by 10 metre platform, a big plank of wood. Uh, but like we've said, like we said over the last couple of weeks, the story of your life really is in your hands. And it's an awesome story that you have an awesome opportunity to be able to write. But this is what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, that in your life, in your own life, you two appear in every single scene. The voiceover is in your own voice and our own life film reel doesn't stop when other people die, only when we do. And in this series that we've been looking at called Plot Twist, we're in part three tonight. As the fellas said, we're, we're closing up, short, uh, up shop uh, tonight. But to fill you in, we've been looking at the lens of our story through how, good the, how God designed it 
for us because we often make the mistake of misunderstanding who the story is all about. And for followers of Jesus, we can get caught up in thinking that we're the main character every time. But in the bigger picture of things, we are a part of a cast of one in seven billion. And in this story, God is not, God is not a quick fix to our hero tale. It's not this thing where it's just like, Lord, I'm chucking up a prayer so you can fix this because God, why won't, why won't you just blank? Why won't you just help me? Why won't you just make work easier? Why won't you just make and fix my friendships? Why won't you just fix my relationships, my marriage, my family? God isn't meant to be used as this crutch for Christians that a lot of people can uh, often uh, perceive Christianity as. God is not a crutch for Christians to simply get through life. He is God, a creator of the universe who is for all people. And that's why in part one, two Sundays ago, we were saying, if you are the only one to wear the cape and claim the spotlight in your narrative, then you are trusting yourself to solely rescue yourself from your own trouble. That God's entry into history as man, as Jesus, makes him the rescuer in our own story. And his followers are but a mere stagehand to his work. Uh, and last week, last week in part two, JK, Josh jumped up and we looked at this quote from a philosopher, a philosopher by the name of Alastair McIntyre. Let me see if I can get this telly. You're working with me, telly. Getting nothing off the telly. I don't have the force in this moment, Clarissa. Let me see if I can click on for you. Oh, here we go. Alastair McIntyre. Uh, and this was the quote that we looked at in part two. Because McIntyre writes this, he says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what stories or story do I find myself a part of? We explored this idea that in our searchings in life, we are all looking for some type of script, some type of script that can tell us who am I, why am I here, what am I supposed to do, these big purpose questions. And we explored that even in the Christian story, there really is no script, but but we can understand our role in the story by looking at the beginning and the end of this epic story that we've been invited into, this big epic story that Josh walked us through. This story that isn't uh, made to limit mankind, but liberate us from our past, from those two master emotions of our shame and our guilt, of sin and brokenness, the very things that ruptures our relationships and who we were created to be. And our big bottom line was that there is a plot twist in the story. There is a plot twist that you've been invited into a story that you've been invited into, that your story doesn't have to end in death, but can end in life, with heaven, an abundant life that continues on for eternity. And that's why the big tension that we're wrestling with tonight in part three is this. The tension is how do you enter into the story that you've been invited into, or more so, how do I embrace the plot twist of my own story? Before we jump into our exploration tonight, here's the disclaimer that we're given, or more so the disclaimer I want to give you. And it's, this is mostly a disclaimer for those of you uh, who are Christians, but also kind of a heads up for those of you who aren't. The plot twist of your own story is not meant to be something that you just step into as a Christian as we're walking through it. You see, as much uh, as it's something, uh, it's, sorry, what we're meant to be jumping into this story with the title of isn't just simply a Christian. It's something much more defined, something much more narrowed, something with a much heavier connotation because it has such a clear definition. See, to enter into this story actually involves being a follower. It involves being a disciple. Here's a disclaimer. Because I can let you know that being known as a disciple gives me much more, uh, gives me more discomfort 
as a Christian than being known as simply a Christian. Because as a Christian, well, everyone has their own definition of what a Christian is. The person next to you would probably have a very different definition of what a Christian is compared to you. And the people outside of this building would have a different definition of what a Christian is to them, whether that's just a church person, whether that's a Jesus lover, whether that's a hypocrite or just simply a homophobic person, just a nice person. There's no defined definition within our cultural context that everyone could agree upon when it comes to this definition of Christian. There wasn't one in Jesus' time either because Jesus never called his followers to be Christians. Never. The word Christian is only found thrice, not just three times, but thrice across the whole Bible. You see, disciple, disciple carries a heavy definition because it's such a defined vocation, such a defined calling, and it points to a clear mission and way of life. Now, I know we're talking very followers of Jesus specific here, but if you're still figuring out all the faith faith stuff for yourself or, or have your own reservations around it, I want you to be invited along for the ride tonight too. Uh, Because like we said, across this whole series, I believe that the plot twist that Jesus has for your own story, a forgiven life and a promise of eternal life, is the best life and relationship that you could have. But I want to invite you along because this is the clear first step that Jesus says you need to take in embracing the plot twist of your own story as a disciple. Back to the tension. How do I embrace the plot twist of my own story as a disciple, as a student, as a pupil, as a learner, as a follower? You see, we actually find our answer in a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. This conversation was recorded in a book, uh, of, in the book of Matthew, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So I want to bring you into this conversation. I'll see how the clicker goes. Looks like it's not cooking. We'll go for the old space bar trick. This is where we're picking up. Matthew 16, verse 24. What we get is it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to embrace the invitation, the plot twist, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. He says you must take up your cross. And for Jesus' disciple, the significance of the picture of the cross wouldn't have prompted them to be thinking of Jesus on it. You see, that hadn't happened yet. The cross pointed to crucifixion. It pointed to the common Roman method of execution that condemned criminals to carry their cross through the streets to their point of execution. That's what the disciples would be thinking about when they thought of cross. But Jesus was clear here. It's confronting because what he says, he's saying, fellas, fellas, if you're going to look at this from an eternal perspective, then you need to be committed. Like to the point of death committed, there's no turning back. We see that Jesus didn't say that if you wanted to follow him, you could, uh, you could do it in a lukewarm manner. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And I can only think of the internal dialogue of the disciples then. Yes, but, but Jesus, where are we kind of following you to? It's just, it's really hard to follow someone when you don't know where they're going. Like, Jesus, where are we going? Or what's going to happen next? Or, or what am I going to do next? Like, I really, really like your teachings, Jesus. Like, they're, they're comforting, truly. It's just there's some things I need to get done in my life too. Like, like, Lord, there's a lot of things kind of on my plate and there's things I need to be thinking about, like, like my money, how am I going to get some financial wealth in place, my family stuff, well, that's out the window. There's a lot of mess there. Like, I feel like I can be accountable for some of those things, Jesus. Like, I might whack them on the prayer point list, but I might share some of that load with you, but I can probably control some of the outcomes on the other stuff too because, Jesus, I kind of have a plan here and I, can, I can't really see it if you're in front of it all. Like, following you might be tricky in that way. What about me here, Jesus? Like, I'm happy to take some of the load here, Lord, Let me know so maybe I can take up my cross and then I'll follow you for like most of it. 
And you could understand why all this would be going through their heads because I know it's often a voice that goes through mine. Following anyone, letting anyone take control of the wheel for the first time can be daunting. Trusting someone to lead our lives just as big. It's a lot easier to say, no, thank you, God, and lead ourselves and follow no one when we're adamant that we have our best interests for ourselves at heart. But when we do, when we trust ourselves to, uh, to the point of saying that we know ourselves so much that we know what our best interests are for ourselves, then we let our future, our bigger picture story be told by how we respond to these three life statements. More often than not, our bigger picture and how we respond to it is defined by these three life statements. These three life statements of, I am what I have. I am what I do. I am what other people say I am. I am what I have, the wealth, the perfect family, the relationships, the job security. I am what I do, my career, my accomplishments, my, my performance in life across work, across my college studies, across how people see me. And this is what it points to in the big one. I am what other people say I am, how other people see me. Do people think I'm confident? Do think people think I'm able? Do people think I'm good enough? These three statements may be ways that we can measure our future, maybe ways that we can measure ourselves even in the present, but if we hold them close to our heart, then what will become of us? I actually used to work uh, at a campsite up the coast, uh, and at this campsite up the coast, we used to have this big 10-meter flying fox. Oh, the click is on. This will be fantastic. We used to have this big 10-meter flying fox, and the 10-meter flying fox was a nice climb up. It was a 240-meter zip line. And in my first year at the campsite, uh, one of my roles as a 17-year-old was to actually go down to the bottom of the zip line, the bottom of the 240-meter run, and stand there and be what we call a stopper. And the role of the stopper was literally to stop people, right? It was to bring them in nicely and slowly. And what I'd do to uh, do that was to actually hold onto a rope. And I'd hold onto this rope. Attached to the rope on the zip line would be a rubber pulley stopper. And as people would come down the zip line, my role would be to run the rope out to the person, wait for them to hit the stopper, and then bring them in nice and gently and unattach them from the zip line. It was pretty simple. And to do that, I actually had some very nice attire. Uh, my attire looked like this. Um, and I can tell you right now, the hairnets were actually quite fashionable at the time at the campsite. This is kind of what I was looking like. So 17-year-old me, my job was to stop people at the bottom of the zip line. And um, one day, one day, we had a, a group come in. And in this group, there was a fella in there uh, who was pretty tall. He was seven foot. He actually had to duck to get into the kitchen. Uh, and the group that we had, they were pretty excited to jump on the zip line. This guy was pretty excited well, as well, but he was a little bit worried uh, going down the zip line because he was so tall, but he was also just so strong and big. He was a big rugby union forward named Junior. And this guy was a strong, staunchy lad. His biceps and triceps were huge. Like his shirt was big, but he was bigger. Like this guy was a big fella and at seven foot. Uh, he was tall, and I turned to my mate, Alex, because Junior was kind of like, you know, you reckon I can go on this? And Alex was like, if you can fit in the harness, all good. And then Alex looked at me, and he went like this, and I just went, because I knew, I knew I had to stop Junior. And, and we had just got this flying fox up. It was in its early days. Uh, and on this day, on this day in particular, um, we had had a couple of people coming in pretty quick, because it was the early days of kind of testing out uh, the flying fox. So my mate Alex turned to me and said, listen, Riley, everything's going to be okay. He can fit in the harness. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about the height or how much muscle he has. It'll all be good. When he's up on the platform, I'll give you a shaka, I'll give you a signal, and you'll know when Junior's coming down. To give you an idea of just how I perceived what Junior looked like, 
If this was the view of looking down on the flying fox, Junior wasn't just the size of like one Dwayne the Rock Johnson. No, Junior was like the muscle size of like multiple Dwayne the Rock Johnsons. We're talking about a big, strong, staunchy, muscly, tall, seven foot fella. So you could only imagine how I was feeling when I was at the bottom of the run waiting for my friend Alex to give me the single. And you see, Alex didn't even need to give me the shucker signal in the end. Because as I was looking up in the afternoon sun, waiting for Junior to come down the fox, Alex didn't need to throw me a shucker because literally a shadow had been casted over me. The sun was completely blocked out at this time. And in this moment, my reaction was just like this. I had... I was shaking in my boots and I was holding onto this rope for dear life at this stage. My fingers were clenching into the point where I couldn't even feel them anymore. And you see, Junior's friend had stepped off the zip line and he had a good three-second head start before Junior stepped off. And at the exact time that Junior stepped off, that's when the worst thing imaginable happened. You see, the rope I was clenching onto with my very strong, very masculine hand shot out over the zip line over the other side of the zipline and began to get tangled. So I was dancing up and down, trying to get this thing back over, flying it back and forth. Junior was flying down. Now he was beating his mate. He was coming in. My face looked like this. Junior's face looked like this. He continued to come flying down this 240-metre zipline. Eventually, as I was going over, I managed to get my shoulder over and catch this rope. I ran it out to Junior and I clenched on nice and hard. I put my feet and dug them into the ground and I just closed my eyes. And then Junior came to a dead stop. See, Junior came to a dead stop, but I got shot over the back of the ramp of the zipline. I was Indiana Jonesing it up the side of the ramp. I jumped over a tree stump. My glasses and sunnies behind me with one shoe remaining and all four limbs out. I landed on my stomach flat and Junior's just looked over at me dangling in his harness just going, oh no, I've killed this 17-year-old. Like, we were in trouble. We were in trouble. And, and I dusted myself off. I put my shoe on. I put my glasses back on. I put my hat on. I walked over to him. And he was just like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I just had to look at him and go, no, mate, all good. It happens all the time. <laughs> and we had a good laugh and we unclipped the, uh, I unclipped him from his harness and we walked back up to the fox and, and Junior ended up having another go, which is great. But it was just this moment, this moment of just sheer fear, of just absolute fear, this moment of holding onto my life and somebody else's life on this rope with this firm grip this firm grip of clenching on, not knowing what was going to happen next. You see, when we hold on with a firm grip onto things like what we have, what we do, what people say about us, when our hands are gripping tighter and tighter, trying to grab tighter and tighter onto things so we feel safe, tighter and tighter onto things that make us feel secure, even times onto things that are actually causing our very insecurities of life in an attempt to feel secure, trying to maintain our image by trying to upkeep the adjectives that we want people to think of us when they see us, how we perform at work, study. When we eventually lose control, who do we fall back on to regain control? You see, I want to say for myself, it's God every time, but I know that the easy solution is to say ourselves. And this is what Jesus says next in his conversations in his, with his disciples. Jesus' big thing is, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. You must turn from your selfish ways. The three statements, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people say of me, maybe ways we can measure our future, maybe ways that we can measure our present. But if we hold them close to our heart, 
what will become of us is a me-centered person who can only trust themselves to fix themselves. His big next line in his conversation with his disciples is that if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. You see, but Jesus has a promise for all those who are willing to follow him completely. For those who are willing to die to themselves, for those who are able to release control of their future and surrender in their present circumstance to him. This is his big question to his disciples as followers, not as this definition of Christian that can get thrown around so often. To his followers, to his disciples, he says, are you willing to let go of how you respond to these three life statements and are you willing to do it daily? See, Jesus is saying to his disciples, are you willing to let go of absolute control? Because, because if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Because if you are fixed on making or stepping into embracing the eternal life that Jesus has for you, Jesus says what we can't dismiss when embracing an eternal uh, perspective on life is this idea of, of actually relying on ourselves to fix ourselves. And at times it's so easy to do that, to become our own DIY job, our own rescuer, our own saviour. But Jesus came to be that saviour. He's the protagonist to free you from suffering, from the sin and death, so that we may live with him in heaven for all eternity. But in order for Jesus to be your saviour, you have to stop trying to play that role in the story and surrender control to him. This is the teaching we get from Matthew. He gave up his own life so that, he, so that we could have eternal life. Jesus gave up his life in love for you and the evidence for the resurrection is quite incredible. The resurrection that changed the game when he wrote himself into history. Jesus rising from the grave proved that he has power over death itself. Something that none of us can beat no matter how wealthy we are, how successful or how popular we are. Jesus died for you. And this event in history has the potential to radically change your life. This is the plot twist you can embrace in your story. And Jesus takes it a step further by talking about the soul. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? In Jesus' teachings and even what we see in Genesis, that first kind of chapter of the Bible, the, book, the first book of the Bible, when God created a living being, with a living soul, the value of soul is worth more than the whole world. If we try to rely on those three statements to tell our stories, ultimately we can use all our energy, all our time, all our talent to accumulate the wealth and possessions and build a reputation for ourselves, to build some type of knownness in our time here on earth, but our value placed on our soul would be null. In order to embrace this radical life change, you have to embrace Jesus as your saviour and that requires you, requires you to surrender control. When it comes to a relationship with Jesus and stepping into this story, the first step to embracing the plot twist God has for your life will require you to surrender control. And I, for me, this is not just a serious kind of personal struggle at times, but for most people, the reluctance to actually surrender control is, is the big leading effect of the performance anxiety wave that we see across our schools now. The epidemic of loneliness across workplaces with, with all uh, a range of different demographics. It's this fear, this emotion of losing control of the rope that leads us to feel so much uncertainty in ourselves. In our own thinkings, our own feelings, we can't control how other people view us. And it's this fear of losing control that leads us to feel so much 
anxiety and the anxious feeling isn't just that feeling we feel before we go to present something big at work. It's not just that feeling we get before we go into an exam or that feeling we get before we get test results back from the doctor. The anxiousness isn't just that feeling we feel before we're about to play a big match or jump up on stage. The symptoms of anxiety isn't always felt in these one-off moments. See, fear is this emotion of losing control over something. And the state of anxiety that we put ourselves in can become this thing that we carry and sometimes we carry around without even noticing. It's this state of feeling heavy, of feeling drained. We process things slower. It weighs us down. We feel foggy and frazzled and, and all of a sudden we find it much easier to not even be the pretend version of ourselves. Rather, we find ourselves wrestling with ourselves and find it difficult to be the person we were intended to be. We don't ask the questions of, of where am I going? What am I doing? Who do I want to be in life? Who do I need in my life? What's the story I'm a part of? Because we don't think big picture because it feels impossible too. Because as the anxiousness lurks and, and loneliness brews and cultivates within our internal private world, without a rescuer as the hero of our own story, well, our safety net is to defend our pain and defend our insecurities. And we can find it so easy to fall back on not just these three statements, these three life statements, but these three just big lies about the life that was designed for us, that I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people say about me. They're simply lies. You see, pride says, pride says in the midst of all these things and how we're dealing with it that I got this. Pride tells you to take the Lone Ranger approach where you whack on your cowboy hat, plug in your Keith Urban and ride on your horse into the distance carrying all your burdens on your back and saying you'll be able to fix it for yourself. The pride and this Lone Ranger approach can put ourselves in this, this sinkhole cycle where you have to carry the burdens of not being perfect or failing, the, the fears of, of losing control. And this is why God's plot twist and Jesus' words are so big. He says, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's life-changing for you. Surrendering control in humility says, I can't. And by humbling yourself, by saying I can't, and admitting that you never had control over the future in the first place, by letting go and releasing control, you have the ability to overcome the fears of the future and surrender your future to the one who has your best interests at heart. It's the big bottom line that embracing the plot twist that God has for you, has for your life, will require you to surrender control. God asks of his followers to have self-control, but ultimately you were never designed to be in control in the first place. I don't know about you or for those of you who are followers of Jesus, but, but I am so thankful for that. Because most of us, reflecting my own life, I, I know that I've been misinterpreting life and what God is doing for a lifetime. And what is so often in the way is how we've mishandled the scars of our past, the regrets, the guilt and the shame and the wounds. But also what is so often in the way is the unknowingness of the future. And our mishandling of our past and our willingness to not have complete control over the future can so often end up controlling our thoughts and feeling and life as a result. And that's why this week as we wrap up this series and kind of land it, I want to give you an application, an application for part three. And we kind of package this part of our night uh, into something called a four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you it's not going to impact you for Monday. This week's for Monday is this. It's to commit to pursuing Jesus actively. This is a for Monday for everyone. And I know it sounds like a big step in itself, but let's break down some of the smaller steps before looking at it. 
Because in our own faith journey, in our own personal life, we need a space and we need a path to talk through our challenges. That when it comes to commit to pursuing Jesus actively, one of the ways we love to do it at Beyond is pointing people towards our connect groups, these small groups of six to eight people that meet throughout the week, knowing that church isn't just something that happens here on Sunday. But church is something that happens throughout the week. It happens in honest and meaningful and authentic community where people can be real about what they're dealing with and not just their faith journey, but their personal life too. And we'd love to invite you. If you're someone who's had questions about the Jesus stuff before, if you're looking for a next step or, or just looking to talk to someone about it, we'd love to point you towards our connect groups. And the fellas tonight, JK, Josh, and Jim will be able to walk you through how you can do that. But at the same time, we have some options for you. Even if you'd like to meet up with someone for a coffee, you can QR scan code one of our cards on the back of our bench tables and you can jump onto our website and you can tick a little box just saying, I'd love to catch up with someone with coffee and coffee will be on the house. We'd love to invite you to be a part of actually exploring what a life with Jesus looks like with people. And our connect groups, our connect groups are for everyone. Our connect groups are a group of people who journey alongside of each other, supporting one another. Because we know that, that in life, that when it comes to not just being a Christian, but being a follower of Jesus, that being a follower of Jesus isn't a destination. It's not an arrival spot, that it's actually a journey. And we need people to support us in that journey. You can find out more by listening into JK and Jim tonight or catching up with some of our connection team at the back but if this is something that you're already part of, if you're already in a connect group, or if this is too big of a step, you can totally understand. But I'd love to invite you not just to sit there and wait for Jesus to intervene in your life based off some miraculous moment, although those happen, but actively pursue him. To actually be present and ask the question, what is stopping me from walking with Jesus today? What is stopping me from walking with Jesus today? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it stress? Is it discontent? Because they're all symptoms of a circumstance. What do I need to release control of? How can I upkeep an eternal perspective? And I know walking with God, even that sentence in itself or that phrase, walking with God just kind of sounds super religious and it kind of sounds like something your grandma might say. Like, and here's the thing. Here's how I like to think about it because there's actually a big difference between walking your grandma and walking your dog. Stay with me here. I have a dog, a puppy, two years old. His name's Kobe, little King Charles Cavalier. Walking Kobe's great because I get out of the house, get some fresh air, but walking Kobe is literally like zigzags everywhere. We see a bird, we see another bird, we see another dog. Walking Kobe is keeping up with him, then dragging him home when he's tired. It's picking him up, it's walking him everywhere. Kobe runs diagonals and circles around me. Walking Kobe is pretty difficult compared to walking with my grandma to get to the Thai restaurant around the corner from her place, which would be a three-minute walk for me, but takes us 15 minutes because when walking with grandma, it's not about getting ahead of her. I'm not racing my grandma to the Thai restaurant, even though I know for a fact she'll definitely take my coconut prawns. I'm not racing my grandma to the Thai restaurant. I'm not trying to get in front of her. I'm not trying to go at such a pace that I'm behind her all the time and it becomes a struggle for her. When I'm walking with my grandma, I'm trying to do it in sync. I'm trying to do it in unity. You do, you do it knowing the needs of the person. And following Jesus, following Jesus is walking with him and letting him set the pace. There is less pressure and more freedom in walking with God. It's not a race. It's not perfection. You may very well not get every step right in life, and that's okay. Relationship with Jesus may feel like a tug of war in the midst of challenges, in the midst of adversity, work life, financial stress, relationship breakdown, family mess. But with God as the guider of the walk, there is a peace in the midst of progress. So this is a God who has gifted you free will. 
choice and freedom. He doesn't say aim for he doesn't say aim for perfection. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Release control and follow me. He doesn't say follow only these rules. He says, follow me and trust me. And embracing the plot twist that God has for your life will require you to surrender control. That takes faith. Faith isn't knowing the end of the story. It's trusting in the one who does. And God doesn't need your idea of a perfect life. He doesn't need your perfection. He desires your presence. Like in any relationship, trying to hit the mark. It's not about that. It's presence over perfection. Because presence allows for progress. Like we said, you're one star amongst a cast of seven billion, and that makes you unique. Yes, invaluable, indefinitely. Followers of Jesus, for us amongst a cast of seven billion, that is, in God's story, no actor has more value than another. So, all followers of Jesus, consider your role as that of support to others in your immediate sphere, your relationship circle, seeking to make their lives great even before your own. Because Jesus said, uh, and he called for a full commitment from his disciples of his movement, from the church, that the church was meant to die for one another. And maybe for you, some of you are thinking, well, if that's the case, Riley, I've got friends who aren't here tonight who aren't Christians, who are outside of the church, who'd be much more quick to risk their life for others than Christians would. See, if Jesus was willing to die for us, if he was willing to die for all people, for everyone, then the church should be ready to care for people, to love people, to surrender control, and be ready to die for each other. Because this is the role of a disciple, a humble stagehand that lives out this life whilst pointing people to the big epic story of God's mission, the ultimate author of the story. It's not about what we do in our own story. It's about what God has done and will do. You can serve, you can join a connect group, you can read your Bible and pray, but not be walking with God. The first step, the first step in walking with Jesus comes in recognizing that you are not in absolute control. And surrendering absolute control in the doubts, in the distractions and in the challenges, to know that it doesn't end there in that moment, that you are lost in yourself, that there is hope for you yet because your story is born when you take the first step, a brand new chapter in your life story. He is not a performance-based God. He wasn't a God who came to simply perform. He came to be present. Just as it will be tricky for us sometimes to, to love our colleagues, our mates at work, the people we go to uni with, just as it will be tricky sometimes to love our friends, our parents, our family when we want to control them, we will find it really hard to love an all-powerful God in our circumstance when we want to control Him. God's invitation to a plot twist in your life invites you to have an eternal perspective because it promises eternal life and hope. That's when we can say to ourselves, if it won't matter in heaven, I won't let it upset me and control my life on earth. Because what truly matters, what truly matters is how we love, what we give, who we serve, and what we say. It's presence, not can show people the face of Jesus through embracing the big picture of life that he has invited you into in complete weakness and complete surrender choosing a life to actually walk with him I'd love to pray for us and then I'll kick you back to the band to close your time God we just thank you 
We thank you in our life and in the moments when we just desire control of over every aspect of our life, over what's happening within our workplace, Lord, within our friendships, between what's happening within our home, and the times when we just get so caught up and just feeling so anxious, God, and the times when we try and perform that DIY job in ourselves. It can be so easy to withdraw and pull away and say that we'll be able to fix ourselves, but God, we do. We thank you that you're a heavenly Father who doesn't run away, that you didn't write yourself into the story as a performance, God, but you wrote yourself into the story to be present that lord you point us to meaningful community with other people lord meaningful community with you in the times that we struggle to surrender control lord we turn to you and we pray for you to intervene to step in and take control lord we surrender to you in the moments when things uh, don't feel like they're going right we thank you you're a heavenly father who forgives over the regret the shame and the guilt that you point us to a brand new chapter in our life and that you've invited us to a plot twist that will radically change our life and points us to an abundant eternal life we give you thanks and we pray these things in your name